A couple of weeks ago in our Thursday morning Bible study, Dr. Barnes was talking about how his son Roby from a very, very early age, as a little boy, was so good at evangelizing how even at the young age of eight, he could absolutely captivate and disarm an adult with humor and then ease into the gospel. He has a gift. And there was a man sitting next to me Thursday morning, a man named Harvey Johnson, who's been an amazing supporter of Sheridan House. Just spontaneously out of his mouth, he said, out of the mouths of babes. It's an expression. We all use them. We all use expressions to make a point. A lot of them are idioms. An idiom is an expression that's not to be taken literally. And they exist in every language. Such as cat got your tongue. Not to be taken literally. Used to make a point. Or turning a blind eye. Uh, a lot of them come from sports. Like baseball. You know, uh, Man, that kid made a great presentation. He really hit it out of the park. Or if somebody says something that's a little inappropriate, hurtful, you may say, man, that's kind of hitting below the belt, boxing. Or if things are where they normally are, whether it's good or bad, you may say, well, that's just part of the course, part of the course. Golf, phrases to make a point. Uh, how about this one? Uh, to everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 yeah. You guys from the 60s, you think that's the birds. That's from the Bible. They ripped that right out of Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. My mom grew up on a farm. She's 82 years old, and she used to always say phrases like this. She'd say, no, a little birdie told me. A little birdie told me. What? That's from Ecclesiastes 10.20. It says, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or if you've got this great plan and it, and it goes awry, something, there's a kink that gets thrown in it, you may say, well, it's just, there's a fly in the ointment. That's Ecclesiastes 10.1. Or how about this one? Nothing but skin and bones. Or I escaped by the skin of my teeth. The skin of your teeth. Well, that's Job chapter 19, verse 20. And Harvey's phrase. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. That's out of the Bible. David wrote it, and Jesus quoted it. It's Psalms chapter eight, uh, eight verse two. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You know, every verse in the Bible is there for a reason. Amen. Amen. But I, I have learned to pay closer attention when Jesus quotes verses. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. And while you're turning there, Psalms chapter 8 is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 21. It's quoted in 1 Corinthians 15, 27. It's the resurrection chapter. And the most complete quotation is in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, which makes it very clear that Psalm chapter 8 is referring to Jesus Christ. So Psalm chapter 8, it begins and ends with the same verse. Bookend statements. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is not referring to now. Not at all. His name is not majestic in all the earth right now. 
I was hitting balls at C.E. Smith Park yesterday. And there, actually Sunday. And there was a guy standing next to me who was using the Lord's name quite profanely. He was hitting shanks. And I, I had to move. I couldn't take it. I wasn't afraid of the shanks because I was behind him. A shank is when you hit the ball on the inside of the club on the hosel and it goes dead right. I just couldn't take his language. He was using the Lord's name in vain. It happens all the time when my wife and I are watching TV shows or movies that they use Jesus' name like an exclamation point. Drives me crazy. Sadly, God's name is not excellent in all the world today. David said God's name is majestic. Number one on your outline, as a Christian, I must remember to, letter A, trust God's majestic name. I must remember to trust God's majestic name. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Today, that would be some trust in Bentleys and some in Mercedes. You know, some people trust in their things. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Trust God's majestic name. You see, David didn't just know God's name. David knew God. And there's a profound difference. Heathens know God's name. Evil spirits know God's name. We see that in Luke chapter 8. No, David learned to trust God's character revealed in his names. Because David experienced God's protection. He experienced God's provision. He experienced the power of God while he was evading Saul, right? Jesus said God reveals himself. He reveals his name, not to the wise, but to those who are humble like infants. Number one on your outline, letter B. As a Christian, I must remember to humble myself before God's holy name. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord... And he will exalt you. Number one on your outline, letter C. As a Christian, I must remember to revere God's name. Psalm 135.20 says, You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Any of you guys here that have a son, if you have a son that respects you and honors you, it blesses you. When you revere the Lord, you bless the Lord. Not only are people not saying his name with reverence today, they're trying to take his name out of everything. They don't want God's name in the school. They don't want it in the courts. They don't want it in public prayer. I remember doing the benediction for a city event when I worked at Palmer Country Club. and It was a city event we were hosting at the golf course. and It's about 150 people there, and they asked me if I'd do the opening prayer. And right when I was going up on the stage, a lady grabbed me by the arm, and she said, can you just not say in Jesus' name? I said, I'm sorry, that's how I pray. They don't want you to say it. You never hear God's name in the newscast. But God makes news all the time. He's just never recognized. At Sheridan House, we just opened up some new apartments for single moms. They're transitional housing. And so last Wednesday night, she's a school teacher, so we had to meet her after school. She had to pick up her kids. We met her at a storage place and moved everything in a box truck and moved her into the apartment. After unloading all our things, we realized, oh my goodness, there's no bed for the kid. So she was going back, she wasn't gonna stay there that night and 
we realized she didn't have a bed, and we asked her what she needed, and she said, yes, I do need a bed, and so we said, just don't worry about it for right now. I walk back in the office, and the single mom's ministry coordinator, Amy Adler, says, you know, Barb Edinger just called us yesterday, and she said, I have a bunk bed. We live in Davie. We've got bunk beds for our grandkids. They've only used them twice. If you need them, you can take them. They're perfect. They're perfect. Mm. Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see it. We get to see it. We just have to pay attention. Now, David wrote Psalm 8 to be sung with a musical instrument, similar to a, 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 a lair. Uh, it's a small U-shaped heart with strings fixed to a crossbow. And this is important. He used a musical instrument with song to praise God. Remember that. You may be challenged on that one day. So pick it up with me. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. That's a song by Michael W. Smith. Remember it? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. That's the only time. You will ever hear me sing. Thank you, Lord. I don't have that gift. I should have done that. Sandy Patty used to sing it. They used to sing it in my church all the time. It's a great song. The first verse, it's a prophecy. It looks forward to an amazing future. It's a future that we all look forward to with hope. King David wrote Psalm 8. Remember how he grew up. God went to Samuel and said, hey, Saul is done. Quit mourning Saul. Go to Jesse. I'm going to anoint the new king. Saul goes to Jesse. He goes through seven sons. It's not the one. He thought it was uh, Iliad because he was handsome, tall, well-built, but it wasn't Iliad. Where was David? He was out tending sheep. David was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, there would be many times where he would lay down and look up at the stars. He'd have seen them all. You see, back then people just looked up at the stars and they made a connection. God's power, God's majesty. God called Abraham from his tent one night and he challenged him to count the stars if he could, right? Genesis 15, 5. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. Let me just say, it's not possible. You can't. According to the Australian National University, without a telescope, it's only possible to see, from the very darkest place on Earth, it's only possible to see 5,000 stars. I was watching a BBC production on the History Channel with my wife recently called The Universe. It said there are over 50 billion galaxies in the universe, 50 billion galaxies containing as many as 100 billion stars each. And then they said this, and I about fell out of my chair. Therefore, there are literally as many stars in the universe as grains of sand on the beaches of Earth. They're quoting Genesis 22 on the History Channel, BBC. Genesis 22 reads, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Remember Carl Sagan, the... the atheist and uh, astrologist. He used to have a TV show in the 80s. Even Carl Sagan, the atheist, said, the number of stars in the universe is greater than all the grains of sand on the beaches of Earth. So how many grains of sand are there on the beaches of Earth? In 2007, I had a professor, Dr. Bob Beatty, amazing guy. And for 30 years, he would pose the question to his class, 
how many grains of sand are there in a teaspoon? No one ever took him up on it. I did. Some families spend the summer doing puzzles. We counted sand. So I took my daughter down to the beach. We got a scoop of sand, and I'm not stupid. I'm a little stupid because I, I took a quarter teaspoon of sand. I was going to count that and times it by four. I should have taken an eighth of a teaspoon of sand because in a quarter teaspoon of sand, there are 17,000 grains of sand. But there are 68,888 grains of sand in just a teaspoon. Okay? The Encyclopedia Britannica says there are over 100 billion stars just in our Milky Way galaxies and galaxy, and there are over 50 billion known galaxies with over 100 billion stars each. That's astonishing. That's astounding. And this is the point. The most complicated thing in the universe is on your shoulders, your brain. Michigan Daily News says the number of grains of sand in all the Earth's beaches is vastly exceeded by the number of stars in the universe, but the number of stars is vastly exceeded by the unimaginable connections within any human brain. The human brain has 100 billion neurons, each linked with about 10,000 other neurons. Okay? Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The stars David saw would have been amazing. We now know he could have seen maybe up to 5,000 stars. David's conclusion, the stars declare God's glory. And he said what lies beyond the stars is the glory of God, the Shabbat, the substance of God. David said your name is majestic. You've set your glory above the heavens. On to verse 2. I like the NIV version. It translates the word strength as praise because it indicates praise for God's strength. Psalm 8.2 reads, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. That's certainly how Jesus translated it. In Matthew chapter 21, he had just made his triumphal entry. Well, actually, it, to me, it, it's a picture. Because when he comes back again, that'll be the triumphal entry. This is just a picture. But the people are shouting, what? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Literally, the whole city stirred up. Hundreds of thousands of people coming into the city for Passover. It's quite a scene. And it gets crazier. Because after he makes a triumphal entry, he does what? He goes right into the temple. And he overturns the table of the tables of the money changers, the people ripping people off because they wouldn't accept a Roman coin in the temple. But don't worry, we'll, we'll do the exchange for you for a temple dollar. And they were ripping people off in the exchange rate. And the poor people that were coming in, they, they couldn't afford to sacrifice a lamb, who were trying to sacrifice a pigeon. They'd rip them off because they'd look at the pigeon and go, no, I'm sorry, but that pigeon has a blemish. But, but Saul over here has got a table. You can buy one of our pigeons. They're ripping people off. And Jesus, quoting scripture, said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And while all this is going on, he's healing uh, people with sicknesses, and he's healing people that are lame. He's healing people that are blind. While he's doing all this, there's a lot going on. And the chief priests and the scribes, which are kind of lawyers, the chief priests and the scribes are, are outraged especially because they saw little children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, son of David. I've never picked up on that before. 
I had never noticed that there were little children in the temple singing to Jesus. Hosanna means save, please, or salvation, thank you. Son of David means Messiah. So they're in the temple singing, salvation, please, Messiah. To be clear, the children are declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. In Matthew 21, 15, it says, When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, the healing of the people, and the children crying out in the temple, Salvation, thank you, Messiah, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And in verse 16, it says the chief priests were outraged, and they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Now, these are scholars. They knew their scripture. So Jesus gave him a verse to chew on. He, he quoted Psalm 8 too. He said, yes, I've heard them. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. He's telling the chief priest, you know, I think it would be a good idea if you go back and read your scripture. It testifies of me. Jesus revealed himself so simply that even a child can understand and come to faith in God. In Matthew 18.3, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's coming back. And if you're a believer, you should be like a little child, and you should stay like a little child. He doesn't want us to stay as a child or have a mental understanding of a child. He wants us to get rid of all those feelings we have of control, especially men. It's the spirit of a child. A child recognizes and responds to their parents. He wants us to have a childlike dependence, being humble, knowing that we can't do anything without God. The purest faith you can find is in a child. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's face value. You know, a child lives in their house, and it's their house, and you're their parent. They don't question anything. It's pure innocence. No strings attached. It's simple faith. In Matthew 18, he takes a little child, puts him in the middle of all this chaos with the chief priest. And says, unless you're like this little child, you're not going to get it. You're not going to go to heaven. Number two on your outline. We need to put aside our arrogance and pride and come to the cross in simple faith. We need to put aside our arrogance and our pride and come to the cross in simple faith. Jesus said, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes. David marveled. That God uses the strength of children to silence his enemies. Number three on your outline. God has ordained that the weakest shall confound the strong. Mankind, even the weak children and infants, represents the strength of God in the earth. It's hard to think of anything weaker or more dependent than a baby. 1 Corinthians 1 Verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. On to verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him. Pause here for a moment and consider. God put each star in its place. He set them. All with the work of his fingers. With his fingers. 
The universe is so large, so beyond comprehension. Check out this slide. If the sun was hollowed out, you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside of our sun. It's big, right? But our sun is small. The star Antares could fit 64 million of our suns inside of it. But Antares is nothing compared to the star Hercules. Hercules could hold 100 million Antares inside of it. And the star Epsilon dwarfs Hercules. It could hold 3 million Hercules. All that power, all those massive bodies, all that energy that's burning for billions and millions of years. David says, it's finger play for God. It's finger play. I remember growing up, my mom and my sister, especially in the wintertime, we were from up north, and when it was snowing a lot, we lived out in the country, uh, they would do needlepoint with those little metal rings. They used to think it was stupid. But they would do needlepoint, and then sometimes frame it and put up on the wall. Finger play. The heavens and the earth are the work of God's fingers. So it's interesting to me when the Bible speaks of salvation, it's the arm of the Lord. Isaiah 53, 1 says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? John Wesley puts it like this. God created the heavens and the earth. Didn't have to try. Because it, it's nothing compared to the work he did on the cross. His arms were nailed to the wood. He bore our sins, my sins, your sins. All past and future sins. John Wesley was right. Creation was child play compared to salvation. You see, when we look at creation, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. God put his glory above creation. We look at pictures of distant stars and we marvel, and that's okay. But we don't worship that. To God be the glory. Number four on your outline. Be careful when we look at things. Be careful when we look at things. There's no glory in creation we worship the creator. <clears throat> we cannot comprehend the magnitude of God. We can't comprehend God's greatness. Isaiah fell on his face. He couldn't even bear to look at God. And considering how awesome his creation is, it's, it's easy to wonder why we even matter to God. You ever think that? I admit it, I do. I mean, he's got a lot going on, right? David said in verse 4, why should God even think of us? He said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why, why should God care for us? David thought that. And it might be logical to think that. But in the person of Christ, God visited us. And the fact that Jesus came in the flesh gives us dignity. It means that we're important to him. It means we matter to him. It means he loves us. Who do you go visit? We just opened up three... Three more apartments at Sheridan House. So we have a total of six apartments. So there are three moms that have already been there for a year. What did they do? They went and visited their new neighbor. Somebody moves in next door to you, you go visit. Someone has a new baby, you go visit. If someone's sick, you go visit. If someone's in jail, you go visit. That's what Jesus did. He visited us. And that is the mystery. 1 Timothy 3.16 reads, Without question, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit 
He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and is taken to heaven in glory. Why? Because we were in prison. We're in prison by our sins. Because we're sick. We're in need of the great physician. Psalm 103.3 says, He forgives all your inequity and heals all your diseases. 2,000 years ago, God visited earth and died on the cross to show his love. On to verse 5. Psalm 8, verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You see, when Jesus came in the Old Testament to visit, he was the angel of the Lord. It was Jesus in that WWF wrestling match with Jacob. That was Jesus. It was Jesus in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. That was Jesus. My favorite is Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which was 740 B.C., Isaiah said that he saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the angels surrounded him, and day and night they worshipped him, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. After seeing this vision, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said some things I shouldn't have said. And I come from a people of unclean lips. I'm a dead man. I've seen the Lord. Then an angel takes a hot coal and presses it to his lips. And the angel of the Lord said, your sin is forgiven. You're a new man now. Sound familiar? It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new person. He said, your sins are forgiven. You're a new man now. Who forgives sins? He says, your mouth now belongs to me. You're going to be a prophet and I'd say what I tell you to say. And Isaiah basically says, all right, Lord, tell me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want me to do. I'm your man. The question is, who did Isaiah see? I think he may have seen Jesus. I think Jesus was that angel because John 12, 41 reads, Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this. Because he saw the future and he spoke of the Messiah's glory. Isaiah's encounter with Jesus, it's the picture John has of Jesus in the book of Revelation. It's the picture of Jesus that you and I are going to see when we see him face to face. He won't be a humble, poor, beaten carpenter from Galilee. He'll be the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19.16. He'll, he'll be high, exalted, worshipped by the angels. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. When Jesus came in the Old Testament to visit, he came as the angel of the Lord. But when he visited at Bethlehem, he came much lower to our level. In verse 4, he gave us dignity by visiting us, how important we are to him. But much more importantly, he gave us destiny. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God has plans to give us a future and a hope. Psalm 8, 5 says we are made much lower than angels. However, 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says, don't you realize one day we will judge the angels? On to verse 6. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God gave us dignity, he gave us destiny, and we see here he gave us dominion. Not that we can conquer or control nature, 
but we should be in step with it. We should protect it. It says it's under our feet. It means we're managers of it. We're responsible for it. It's God's handiwork. It all belongs to God, but like a manager, we've been given a great responsibility. Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. On to verse 9, the final verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Clearly not today. But there will be a day, a glorious day, when the nor- when the name of the Lord will be excellent in all the earth. Right now, creation is groaning. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But David said God is above creation. We're not where we're going to be. In the upper room prayer, Jesus said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we can see where we're going when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. We can see where we're going, Hebrews 12, 2. The animal kingdom is under the feet of the human kingdom, and the human kingdom is under God's kingdom. That's why this psalm ends with a, a chorus that says to give God the glory. Number five on your outline, final point. When you think about God's glory, love, and grace, it should prompt you to praise Him. When you think about God's glory, when you think about His love, when you think about the grace He's given us, it should prompt you to praise Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.